Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Savior Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, struggling, striving, wanting to be perfect. This morning we are in week two of our worship series that we call Free. It's all about um, how we uh, are free from lies. Last week we set the stage with the big idea. And if you weren't here last week, I'll just throw it up there so you can see it. It's that my beliefs influence my attitude, my, my thoughts, and my behavior, my actions. So what you believe about me influences how you think and act towards me. What you believe about your spouse or about your boss or about money or about anything influences your, your thoughts and your actions, your attitude and behavior towards that person or that thing. And where it really becomes tricky is the things, when, when you believe something that isn't true, something that's a lie, well, it, it traps you in, in think, doing things or believing things or thinking and acting on things that, that you don't have to. And sometimes they're, they're emotionally and, and spiritually harmful. Let me give you an example. When I was a kid in Wisconsin, I had a friend that moved from Texas. He had lived his whole life in Texas until he moved to the, the fine northern state of Wisconsin. And the first winter, we went to go ice skating. Now, my friend actually was a really good skater because he had actually gone ice skating at a, at a rink in Texas, but he'd also grown up rollerblading. And so he knew how to skate way better than I did. I was never that great. So we went out under, this, under the lake where there was the, the rink and the hockey, hockey boards and everything set up, and we met a bunch of other kids there, and we were going to play. And I wasn't that great of a skater, but, man, I was skating circles around my friend. And I kept asking, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. And finally, we got, we got the game was over, and we were, we were done. We were taking our skates off, and, and the rink attendants drove the truck out onto the ice, and were loading up the, the panels and the goals. And I said, man, are, what's up with you? And he pointed to the truck, and he said, this whole time, I was sure I was going to fall through the ice. You told me I wouldn't, everybody told me I wouldn't, but I didn't believe you. Until I saw that truck drive out, I thought for sure I was going in, and I ruined my whole day because I was just waiting to fall through the ice. See, when, when you believe a lie, it, it affects, it influences your attitudes and your behaviors. And the reason that we're looking at this is because when a, when a belief is exposed to be false, to be a lie, well, it sets you free, doesn't it? it? It loses its power. And that's why our series is called Free, because we're exposing lies with the truth of God's Word. And in the process, we're freeing ourselves from that grip, from the influence that they might have to trap us. Now, as we work through this series, I want you to, to work through it with us. But we may come to a lie that you go, you know what, that just isn't me. I don't struggle with that one. And so if, you, if that's the case, if that's what you think, I want, I want you to consider or to remember two things. One, I guarantee there is somebody in your life a friend, a neighbor, a family member who does struggle with this lie. And the 
more you understand the lie and the better you know the truth, the more of a blessing you can be in their life. Secondly, in one way or another, you probably do believe the lie. Because the reason that they're lies, the reason that they're, they're so dangerous is they're, they're hard to detect. They're hard to detect in our hearts. They're hard to detect in our lives. They're hard to detect and to expose and to root out. If they weren't difficult, people wouldn't be trapped by them, would they? But they are, and, and we do get trapped. And so that's why this, this series is, is an important one, I think. So our, our lie today, the, the big idea that we're going to be talking about today is the idea of being wrinkle-free, right? Not just that, that my shirt is wrinkle-free, not just that the makeup I put on covers up my wrinkles, but that my whole life is wrinkle-free. Or to put it another way, I must be perfect at everything that I do. Let me give you an example from my own life. One of the most stressful and pressure-filled things that I do as a pastor is preparing for this moment. It's writing a sermon. As I, as I work to, to write a sermon, there are, there are a couple of goals that I have in mind. One is that it would always be Bible-based, biblically accurate, that it would be preaching the message of God's Word, not just the words. Two is that it would be Christ-centered, that it would always and every time point you back to the good news that Jesus is your Savior, because that is our only hope, that is our only defense, our only righteousness, like we just sang. It is the only thing that, that changes our hearts and changes our lives. Three, I, I want it to be something that's, that's relevant and applicable so you take it with you as, you as you leave the doors today, as you head home, as you go through your week, that it, that it sticks with you. And four, that you stay awake. Those goals actually, believe it or not, they, they sometimes add up to a lot of pressure. I, I feel this, this pressure to perform, to come up with something great every week because I put this pressure on myself to achieve a certain standard. But you know what? It's actually a lie because God, God doesn't expect me to have a perfect sermon. I never do anyway. He tells me to do my best, right? And, and this lie has nothing to do with, with aiming low or not working for excellence or doing your best. But this doesn't mean that I, I slough off or I take a week off or I don't bother preparing, never. Instead, what it means is that I, I faithfully use the gifts God has given me. I, I work to faithfully preach and teach and understand the message that God has given us. And, I, and if it's good enough for God, well, then it's going to have to be good enough for the people who listen. But I have to remind myself of that because I sometimes get in the mode of thinking that this is on me and I have a, a standard, a goal that I have to reach every week. Do you have any of that perfectionist streak running in you? Because this idea of perfectionism, it's a, it's a big, wide-ranging thing, and it encompasses a, a huge part of our lives. On the one end, we've got the, the expectations and the performance of 
how we are at school or at work, how we are as a, a parent or a spouse, how we are as an employee or a boss. On the other end, we've got our, our, how, we, um, how our relationship with God is and, and whether we sin, whether we fall short in, in living for him. And so we've got this huge swath of, of perfectionism and trying to live up to a certain standard. So how do you know if you're someone who struggles with this? Well, if you can relate to the story I just told, you probably have some perfectionism. If you tend to obsess and replay in your mind over and over something that you did wrong, that you said wrong, that you could have done better, whether it was five minutes ago or yesterday or last week, you probably are struggling with this lie. You know that Jesus has forgiven you, right? And yet, I can't let go of the guilt. God wants to take it away. God says, I've, I've paid for it. And you say, no, but I'm going to hold on to it because I didn't do it perfectly. And you can't forgive yourself. If you struggle with relationships, because love is always something that is, that is earned, well, then this lie is probably about you. Do you have to be the best at everything that you do? And if you aren't, and you kind of obsess about it, you focus on it, and you feel like a complete failure if you weren't the best at, at one thing, do you have a hard time feeling happy when someone else does well? And you wish that they had actually failed so that you could have done better, that you could have won, that you could have gotten the contract, that you could have gotten the award, the reward. Because if so, this is probably for you. Do you have a hard time? Do people have a hard time around you? Because they feel either judged by you or that, that there's your, their standards, your standards, are so impossibly high that they can never meet them. And lastly, do you, are you more concerned with how you see yourself and how other people see you than how God sees you? Because these are all indicators of the lie that I need to be perfect at everything. And believing this lie about perfection, it can, it can be a big-time problem. It can lead to all kinds of problems in your life, to emotional problems, to struggles, because if you try to be perfect at everything, you will fail 100% of the time. And failure leads to frustration. And frustration leads to anxiety. And anxiety leads to depression. And depression leads to, I don't want to even bother trying anymore. Relationships are probably hard because you are, in your mind, someone who struggles with, with perfectionism, they have a hard time accepting someone or being accepted based on love. Because love is always something that's earned. We're always working to get it, to get more of it. If you're someone who struggles with this lie, you probably have a hard time enjoying life and just relaxing and, and appreciating the blessings that you have because there's always something bigger and better. There's always more to do. There's always something that's next. And the people who are around you, 
Well, they can never satisfy, can they? They can never reach the, the level of perfection of, of demand that you have for them. Because, and that's a real problem because as hard as we try, as many times as we recommit ourselves, as many times we say, I'm not going to do that again, I'm, I'm going to fix it, we don't, do we? We can't. And that's the, that's the hard, harsh reality. Let me say this clearly. You cannot be perfect. Perfectionists out there are squirming a little bit. You can't. You simply cannot be perfect. And don't try to fool yourself into thinking, I can do that. If I just keep trying, if I just keep working harder, if I do this, if I do that, then next time, then the time after, I'll get there. You won't. And trying will only dig yourself deeper and deeper and deeper into the hole and the trap of being perfect at everything that you do. We need to keep in mind that we are not going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect in our relationship with God, right? We sin every day. You are not going to be the perfect mom or dad. Mom guilt, anyone? You're not going to be the perfect spouse or kid. You're not going to be the perfect parent, boss, employee, friend, anything. And the people around you are not going to be perfect either. Your kids, your friends, they're not going to measure up to the level of perfection that you want. They will never be perfect just like you won't be. Now, to help us be free, to set us free from the, the lie of perfection and the trap that it wants to have, God, we turn to a section from God's truth today from a man named Paul. He was a Christian man who wrote to uh, some Christians in Rome. And while these words were initially in, intended for them, they are, are the truth that still stands and applies for Christians here today. As he writes about why it's so impossible for us to be perfect, even for a day. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. Now, this reference, this verse is referring to something that happened way back at the beginning of time, way back in the Garden of Eden, with the very first person, the very first man God ever created, and the very first sin that came into the world. The man's name was Adam, and God had created Adam and Eve, and he had put this one tree in the Garden of Eden and said, don't eat from that. But it didn't take long before Adam and Eve believed a lie, a lie from the devil, and they ate from that tree. And through that sin, sin didn't just happen. Sin came into the world, right? That's what verse 12 says. Sin entered the world. Now, if that's confusing, it's because we often think in terms of sin as a verb. But here, God uses it as a noun, right? Adam sinned, a verb, and sin, the noun, came into the world and infected the world. And along with sin 
came the result, death. Now the Bible says that when sin came into the world, it infected all people. It came to all people because we're all considered sinful. The reason for that is Adam and Eve, the very first people, the one from whom all people afterwards are descended from, we're now no longer perfect. And two imperfect people cannot create, cannot give birth to a perfect person. That's why sometimes we call this original or inherited sin, that it's passed down generationally all the way from those very first people. Now, if you're thinking, that's not fair. They sinned. They screwed up, and it, it impacts us. Well, trust me, you're not the first person to think that, and you won't be the last. And there is an element of, of truth to that thought. But just because it doesn't seem fair doesn't negate the fact that it is also true. By nature, we're not good people who sometimes do things that are bad. That's a very important, fundamental statement. But think about it for a moment. If everybody was good, why would they keep doing things that were bad? If you are good, all you have to do to stop the things that make you imperfect is just do it, right? Think how easy it would be. You go to a counselor and say, here are all the, here's all my baggage, here's all my problems, here's all my stuff, and you dump it all, and the counselor takes their notes, and they ponder it for a moment, and then they give you the, the brilliant advice, stop that. Oh, because I'm good, I can, and I will. But the reality is, we can't. That's why people keep going back and back and back to counselors, right? Because a one-stop doesn't fix the problem. It's, it's rarely, the problem is rarely that we don't know what the issue is. The problem is rarely that we can't identify the actions that we need to change. The problem is rarely that we don't know the attitudes that get us into that trap and that mess to begin with. The problem is not not knowing. The problem is not being able to stop. To not be imperfect. And the reason? Well, the Bible says, because sin came into the world and infected all people, right? Sin wasn't just something that Adam did, but rather when he sinned, sin came into the world and to you and me. And so you and I were born sinful. And that brings us to our first takeaway. The result is that it's impossible to be perfect. Now, if you're still not sure about this, think about kids for a minute. If you have kids or have ever been around kids, I want you to think about how many parents have pulled a couple of their boys aside and said, now boys, I'm going to teach you how to beat up your sister. It doesn't happen, does it? And yet... Brothers are fantastically good at knowing how to do that. Or how many parents have ever pulled their kids aside and said, let me show you how to be disrespectful. In fact, I'm going to give you some lines to use. Nope, doesn't happen. And yet, kids know how to do that, don't they? Or how many parents, when their kids were real little, said, okay, come here, come here, little junior. I'm going to teach you today how to be selfish. 
and how to properly and often use this word, mine, mine, mine. Exactly. Parents don't ever do that, but kids know how, don't they? Because they, just like you, just like me, just like everyone, are born into this world infected. Infected with sin. Ever since that very first sin in the Garden of Eden, it has been inherited, passed down from generation to generation, and everyone who has two human parents is born with it. There's no way to be perfect. Is there any, is there, now do you get why perfectionists are so perpetually frustrated? It's like trying to take the the Pop Warner team that plays down the street and take them up to Denver to play at mile high against the Broncos. Over and over and over and over and over. It's going to bring about the same result, isn't it? Continual frustration. They are never going to win because it is impossible. And if it's impossible for you to be perfect, then guess what else is also true? The people that you expect perfection from, your friends, your neighbors, your kids, your spouse, well, they're going to fail too. And when they make mistakes and when they are messy and don't do things and they mess up and things aren't perfect, you're going to be unhappy. And you're going to be continually dissatisfied because it's impossible to be perfect. And you are trying to hold them to a standard they cannot reach. Take a look at what that means then in verse 13. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Now, this is talking about how God had not officially, in a formal Ten Commandments kind of way, written down his law, right? And so, if the law isn't written down, well, it's kind of like, you know, I didn't see, there was no posted speed limit officer, I don't know. You do, but it's not held against you, maybe, in that case. God does. But even if he didn't, remember what we talked about earlier? Even if there was no action of sin, there was still the having of sin. Or to put it another way, our second takeaway, that sin is both a verb, it's something that I do, and it's a noun. It's something that I have. And both apply. Both apply because we live after when God gave the command, right? His commands, his do's and his don'ts, and we know and we fail, we do them, we break them, and we live with sin, and therefore we are worthy, deserving of the result of sin, which is in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, because they still had sin, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Death, it reigned. It's the result of sin. So every time you get sick, every time you get hurt, every time you wake up in the morning and you're, oh, man, it's a reminder of sin in us and in the world. The fact that we need life insurance and health insurance, those are reminders of sin in us and in the world. The reality that people die is a reminder of sin in us 
and sin in the world. Now, maybe you're thinking, all right, pastor, you've brought me all the way down. You've convinced me I can't be perfect. I'm there. You got me. In fact, you got me so well that I'm kind of feeling hopeless. And actually, that's where, where God wants us to be. Not, not totally hopeless, but hopeless on our own. Hopeless in thinking that at some point, if I just try hard enough, if I just work at it, if I just think about it enough, if I just do this or do that or have the right system or the right process, I'll get there. God wants us to realize you can't because sin is something not only that you do, it's something you have. And so if you're there, God says, okay, now listen. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Now, two things that I want you to be aware of as we break this down, as we talk about this. One, when Paul here says the many, he's not using it as a portion or a subset of all. He's talking about the many, right? And we know that because he says the many died because of the trespass of the one, because of sin, All people are sinful, and the result is death. He's talking about all. The second thing is that he's making a comparison, and he knows, he acknowledges, he's not comparing apples to apples. In fact, he's comparing apples to an orange tree. Not even close. Because he says, look at at the trespass, look at the, the sin, the thing that was passed down to you from Adam. And now look at the gift. The gift is so much bigger, so much greater, so much better. Because the gift is is not just limited. The gift is unlimited. The gift is this gift from God, the forgiveness of sins, right? From Adam passed down to us, sin. But from Jesus given to us, forgiveness, salvation, because of his death and his resurrection. Look at verse 16. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification, brought being declared not guilty. Now, before I mentioned fairness, this idea of fairness, and we all think we have it, and we all think we want it, but really we don't. You might think that it's not fair that Adam sinned and now we are all sinful. But I'll be honest, it's a beautiful thing that God is not fair and does not treat us fairly. Because look what he does. He doesn't just forgive the sin that was passed down to us and say, okay, now you're on your own for all of the times, all the things that you do that are sin. He doesn't just say, I'll take care of the noun sin and you fix the verb sins that you commit. No, he gives forgiveness that's far bigger than all of it. He gives a gift by grace, the the gift of Jesus' perfect life and innocent death that forgives all sin. The sin that we're born with and the sin that we commit. The sin of of nouns and the sin of verbs. And so that's our third takeaway, and it's the one that I mentioned is an error, so you'll have to write in the whole thing. It's that Jesus' forgiveness is greater than my sin.
Do you understand what that means? The Bible says that death reigned through sin. That's a scary thought, and yet it's true, isn't it? When you're trapped in sin, what's the one thing that you fear most? Death. It is, it is terrifying. But now look what he says in verse 17. If by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? See, death reigned through sin. But now through Jesus, look what he says, we reign in life. Death doesn't have power over us. Not eternal, right? We might die when we breathe our last, but that's only the beginning of life eternal with God. We reign in life because he's given us a gift. Do you see what that gift is? It's the gift of righteousness. What is it that God says he wants you to have? What is it the gift that we think we need to accomplish but we can't? Righteousness. Perfection. We can't, we can't attain it, but Jesus did. And his perfection is now ours by faith in him. He has forgiven us and he gives us perfection. So that it's no longer about my performance with God, but it's about my faith. It's about trusting that Jesus is my Savior. So what does that mean? Because the, the idea then is that right, this, this series, we're set free from the lie. If we're free from the lie that I need to be perfect, what does that look like when I leave here today? Does that mean that I, I get to go and, hey, now, now I'm free. I can just indulge that sin that I have by sin that I do. That's not the freedom we take away. The freedom that we have is so much bigger, so much better, so much deeper. When you truly understand what, that sin is a part of your natural condition, that sin isn't just something that you, that you do, but sin is something that you have, and you understand what God says about how sin separates us, then you also understand what a beautiful gift God gives. This gift that is no longer about you, this gift that is no longer about your actions, your perfection, your works, but it's about Jesus. And it's about simply trusting him. See, when you understand what it means that I truly am a sinner, how I, I rely, I trust, I cling to, I long for my Savior even more and more fully because I know that without him I am, I am totally lost. Not just because of the things that I've done, but, but even because of who I am we also recognize then that we can't be perfect and the people around us can't be perfect and we stop setting up these unrealistic expectations for people. And, and we live in this abundant provision of grace, right? That because God has forgiven me, yeah, I hold people accountable, but I don't, I don't hold on to it and, and bring it up, whether it's for me or for them, over and over and over again and keep replaying it. But I but I live in grace and I live in forgiveness because I am righteous and perfect in God's sight because of what my Savior did for me. See, this means that we get to, to let go of our guilt and we get to, 
to start living, living in, in freedom, living in, in joy, enjoying the life that God has given us. Not that it's easy or happy in every single moment of every single day, but I don't have to reach a certain level for myself or even for him. Because Jesus died and took away all of the things that I've failed at. Jesus died and took away even the failure that by nature I am, the imperfection I have. And instead, God looks at me and he sees perfect because of Jesus. And so when I mess up, when I lay my head down on the pillow at night, I don't have to replay my failures over and over. Instead, I can just say, Lord, you know. You know how broken I am. You know how, how messed up I am. You know how many times I've made mistakes. You know how many times I've failed. And I want to beat myself up about them. But Lord, I don't need to. Because all of the beating and the whipping and the mocking and the, the punishment for all of them all took place on the cross. And Jesus paid for them all. And so help me to live in that freedom. Help me to live in that peace that my Savior makes me perfect. That's our last takeaway this morning, that Jesus brings peace to my imperfection. Because the gift is better, is far, far greater than the trespass. And so I can't be perfect, but I don't need to be. Because Jesus is for me. Amen. May the peace of our God, which goes beyond our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.